It's good to be with you all. Greetings from Church the Redeemer. Uh, 15 or 16 years ago, it's hard to remember, maybe because of the concussion, um, but I fell in our bathroom at my house at about 2 a.m. I got up to go to the bathroom, and the next thing I remembered, I was on the floor. It hit my head on a radiator. I had blood. My wife was distressed, trying to figure out how to help me out. And um, it, was, it was a gory, distressing scene. Our oldest daughter was still maybe a year or two old, and so my wife was in this crisis of how do I get my, my husband, who's sort of dead weight on the ground, um, off the ground, get him the help that he needs. And so my wife uh, took, took her phone, she called my parents, which my parents are sitting here, which I don't want to put you in a hard spot, but <laughs> they didn't answer the phone. <laughs> there's, probably, there's very good reasons for that, but. So my wife is thinking, Anne's thinking, what, what am I going to do? And so she thought, you know, who do I call at 2 a.m. with a crisis? And she thought of um, a friend of mine, let's call him Pete, because his name is Pete. <laughs> now Pete, um, he lived not too far away from my parents' house, and he is such a faithful friend. Uh, we were roommates together, uh, we're groomsmen in each other's weddings. Um, he was uh, a workout partner who was like knocking on the door every day, you gotta get up, you gotta do the hard things. He's a faithful friend. And so my wife took my phone, she called Pete, and after three or four rings, he answered the phone, and he said, Paul, what do you need? He didn't complain that we were calling, or my aunt was calling at 2 a.m. He didn't say, do you know what time it is? He didn't demand explanation, he just said, what do you need? And he woke up, and he, then he went to my parents' house, and he knocked on the door and got them, got the help that uh, Ann needed and that I needed. What a gift, profound gift it is, it is to have friends like that who answer without question, what do you need? That when you call, they're like, here I am, I'm ready. And that if he could help me, um, he would. And again, 15 or 16 years passed by, he's even more solid um, in that way. Oh, to have relationships like that. Um, but of course, that kind of relationship, that sort of trust, that sort of um, willingness to sacrifice takes time, and it develops over time. That Anne called Pete because he had already proven himself multiple ways before, faithful in the past, proven himself a friend who was willing to sacrifice and had a character that would seemingly with, withhold nothing from those who needed help. He's very Christ-like in that way. Now, we're, we're friends, we had lots of good, fun experiences together, um, lots of hijinks. Um, we were in a band together called The Virgin Lips. Um, <laughs> but our friendship um, in that wasn't just based on shared experiences and, and our common experience of having virgin lips for a long time into college. Um, it wasn't just based on um, affirmation that we really supported each other. Um, that we liked the same things and the same activities, and it, there, were, there, were, there were those things. But the call at 2 a.m. wasn't just predicated on that, all the fun things, all the feasting. Because while those can contribute to depth of relationship and friendship, deep relationships are built upon trust and sacrifice. Deep relationships are built upon trust and sacrifice. Now consider that in light of God's relationship with you, your relationship with God. What is the depth of relationship that God invites you into? What 
kind, what depth of relationship do you desire with our Lord God? And how has God loved you? How, he is, how has he shown himself faithful to you? And whenever God calls, are you seeking to grow and being one who responds, here I am, what do you need? And then, do you even dare to call your relationship with God friendship? Or is it just a very distant um, sort of God is glowering over you? Do you even dare to call relationship with God friendship? Well, in John chapter 15, Jesus does say that it is a friendship. He says, greater love has no one than this, that they lay one's life down for one's friends. And you, 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 me, you are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus is a faithful friend. Jesus is a self-sacrificing friend. Jesus is a friend who withholds nothing from us. And if God and Christ has shown his character in that way, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? So let's consider these questions, this relationship with God in light of our readings today, in particular Genesis chapter 22. How has God loved you? How do we respond? Here I am. What's the model example of Abraham? And if God is for us in that way, who can be against us? Today's reading from Genesis begins with the words, after these things. And when scripture says those things, you should think, ah, wonder what that is. What are these things that, that the writer's speaking about? And these, these things are Abraham sending away Ishmael and Hagar after um, his wife Sarah was, take, took offense at Ishmael. And Abraham was distressed by this, sending away his son, even though, again, Isaac was his son of promise. But God reminded Abraham that the promise of inheritance was through Isaac and not through Ishmael, and that God would make a nation of Ishmael as well and provide for him. And so that's the first piece within Genesis chapter 21. And then at the end, Abraham makes a treaty with powerful uh, men or uh, rulers around him. And he's they have this vision of sort of peace that Abraham's entering into the land, that things that God has promised are starting to come to fruition. And so it's after these things that God tested Abraham. God had a long, deep relationship of trust and sacrifice with Abraham. The decades before, God had called Abraham to sacrifice the benefits of his past, the uh, relationships that he had in, or in, this, in the land of Ur, and asked him to leave these things to trust him and the land of his, leave the land of his people that God would provide him a new nation and make of him uh, a new nation and give him a promised land. And now decades later, God was asking him for a further sacrifice, calling Abraham to entrust him with his future, with the future um, just as the promises were starting to be realized that Abraham could start to see these things taking shape through Ishmael and Isaac. He had two sons, he had peace with his neighbors, and now God seems to be shaking those things up. After these things, God tested Abraham and told him to bind and to sacrifice his son, his only son, the son whom he loved, Isaac, the miraculous son of God's promise. Now, child sacrifice, um, in a really ugly, terrible way, was not without precedent um, and among the peoples around Abraham. It was not uncommon for other gods and other 
cults and religions to require the sacrifice of children, especially of the sort of patriarch of a people. But surely God would not ask Abraham to sacrifice his son, to sacrifice Isaac. And yet, at each turn in the reading, when we want to sort of explain away the ask, the request that God has made, at each turn, the tension builds and it becomes more and more explicit what God is calling Abraham to do. At the very beginning, God names what's at stake. And, and again, there's a crescendo to naming what's at stake. Take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and offer him to me. So he knows what's at stake, and then God gives him time to consider these consequences. And Abraham and Isaac and servants travel three days towards the place of sacrifice. Then Abraham has to be explicit, even, with Isaac. They both take an active role in the offering. They leave the servants behind. They ascend a mountain. Abraham lays the wood of the sacrifice on Isaac's shoulders, so Isaac's in some way kind of carrying the instrument of, of his sacrifice on him. And it has to acknowledge to Isaac that, yes, we have everything, but we don't have the sacrifice um, as, as you might expect it. So Abraham builds the altar, he binds Isaac, he takes the knife, there's just pause upon pause in each of these things. And still at each turn, as the tension builds, Abraham trusted in the faithfulness of God. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 um, explains Abraham's actions, his posture this way. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The gravity of God's commands and requests um, build, and they build, they crescendo within this narrative. Interestingly, the text doesn't give us sort of clue into what's going on in Abraham's mind, but at each step, again, is he taking on the agency as time passes, it's, it's inescapable that these are the counting the cost, Abraham's counting the cost. But to each and every command and each and every step, Abraham simply replied, here I am. Abraham simply replied to God's request, these grave requests, here I am. God did ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And God doesn't expect less of us than the world expects of us, but he gives far more. Where the world just takes from us, and there's an economy of loss, God gives himself, gives his life. The sacrifices offered to God are not a zero-sum game in which God's gain is our loss. Other um, um, gods, other powers of this world do just sort of take. There's a transaction, but there's a bit of a loss always on our side, and often quite a bit more than just a bit of a loss. But if we offer our past, our present, and our future to the God who provides, he does. He provides so much more. Abraham considered that God was even able to raise the dead, and God gave him back. Isaac, his son, his only son, his son whom he loved, even from a figurative death. Abraham expressed his faith, and God showed his faithfulness. 
And if God was for Abraham in this way, who could be against him? And who can be against us? Through faith and obedience, Abraham received God's further blessing, even in verse 16, which again removes any question of how is God blessing and what does God recognize in Abraham, saying, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of the enemy. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the world be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And this room and the church and the people of God is a fulfillment of that promise. Abraham called the name of that place um, where God had provided, the Lord will provide, that Mount Moriah. And as it is said to this day, um, when it was written in that passage, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Now, Mount Moriah, the mountain of God's miraculous provision, um, because such momentous things happened there, it did not vanish into obscurity, like Abraham forgot where that place was which God had provided so miraculously. And hundreds of years later, Mount Moriah became the building site of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, where the sacrifices and the burnt offerings of Abraham's descendants were continually offered. And even later than that, 2,000 years ago, on or near that same mountain, or within sight of that same mountain, Jesus Christ was crucified. The Jesus, a faithful son of Abraham, he himself carried the wood of sacrifice on his shoulders. The Jesus ascended the mountain. The Jesus counted the cost and still answered, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And God the Father, even though Jesus was pleading to him, did not spare his only son, the son whom he loved, but gave him up for us all. How will that God, who has shown his love so profoundly, not also graciously give us all things after he has given the most precious thing of himself to us? And through Jesus, all the nations of the world are blessed. If God is for us in that way and that time, who can be against us? Christ Jesus is the one who died, who is raised, who is the right hand of God, and is indeed interceding for us as brother and as friend. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In the words of the psalmist, God makes known to us the path of life. In his presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And there are many times in the worship of the church, even on this on this, this Sunday in which we celebrate the resurrection, there is um, pleasures forevermore. However, those blessings come to us through self-denial, through taking up our cross and following Jesus, that Jesus does not ask, and God does not ask less of us than the world, but promises so much more in return. That God is love, God is our friend, but his love, his friendship is not just affirmation, it's not just affinity and shared experiences, but it is a relationship that deepens through faith and sacrifice, trusting in him and finding him faithful. And through observing fasts as well as feasts, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We do live by bread, but not by bread alone. So we fast in obedience to our Lord. 
Relationship with God and trust is, deepens as we entrust him with our past and our present and our future. And that in ways in which we might try to hold um, tight to our life and uh, believe or be, be motivated by fear and scarcity, if we do that, we will lose our life. But whoever loses um, his life for the sake of Christ and his gospel will save it. And so in Lent, we follow Jesus in the way of the cross, in the path of his own self-denial. Not hiding our sins from God, but confessing them to him and to others. There's opportunities for prayer and penitence as a church, and I encourage you as you have opportunities like um, your Lenten soup supper coming up this week, take advantage of those ways to be in prayer with others and penitence with others. And again, we don't grasp or strive for the things of the world, the things that we might spend but not receive any good back, but we can be people who freely and joyfully give to God from whom um, come all things. And so we have opportunities like giving sacrificially towards Anglican Relief and Development Fund, which will be shared about later in announcements, giving sacrificially and in joy that God gave us all, all, all things come from him in the first place. Because God withheld nothing from us the one who gave us his very son. And so we ask him to increase our faith in his provision for all of our needs. And it gives us freedom to answer in our own way when we get those kinds of 2 a.m. calls or those, those different demands. Here I am, not only to God, but to one another. Keeping watch with one another in sickness and sorrow, even in the shadow of death. In these large and small ways, offering ourselves souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice in Christ Jesus, because we are his friends if we do what he commands. I could make some grand um, invitation for the rest of your life, wake up every day just to say, here I am, but just begin today. (laughs) Just begin as you come to the Lord's table, here I am, yes, as it is today. (laughs) So to respond now, respond tomorrow in answering the Lord's call, answering the call of the Lord who provides. Equip each of us, feed us, and send us for the work you have given us to do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.